Yo, 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 and welcome to another episode of Mandatory Redistribution Party. On today's ep, short for episode, me and Jack are going to be looking at the perils of the YouTube algorithm, the basics of understanding political ideology, and what we think about a paternalistic nanny state. We're going back to standard episode format now, more specifically, open on a rambling introduction that doesn't require a lot of concentration, fast cut to a high production value monologue that requires a lot of concentration and then triangulate back to a middle ground conversation that's a little bit more dense on political contact and ends abruptly the moment that me or Jack remember to include humour and get a halfway decent line in. So that's the ep, short for episode. So um, I was going to say strap in. Don't, don't strap in, just get comfortable, just cut, just... Sit down, calm, just just calm down and just try and just try and enjoy yourself. Please. You, I'm saying this for your benefit, not for mine. Um, thanks. Please, um, have a good time. Gamer aesthetic is so is the worst aesthetic. So, you know, like, like blue lightning. Mm. or a dragon or a scorpion or like a dragon playing a guitar <laughs> yeah and, um, and then but the other thing they have is i think it's called rgb lighting where mm. all the components have, have got like a leds on youtube channel idea pimp my pc so you just get a really I mean, you're going to be PC. competing with a hundred channels with the do you think that name? already exists i I would put a significant amount of cash on the line that they pimp, pimp, pimp my PC. PC. The idea that pimp my PC has not been made is so unfathomable to me. No, the idea that there qualify- are five competing channels with the same title. Let me qualify pimp my PC. So pimp my PC, the rule like pimp my ride is you don't actually improve the vehicle in any way in terms of its performance and its function as a car. So you can't improve. Like you wouldn't improve the engine or the because you know all the pimp my ride cars just fall apart a week later, right? I'd never really thought about it, yeah. but of course they're not actually improving the components, but they are changing a lot about the weight <laughs> and weight distribution of a car yeah. that was designed to have a specific weight and weight distribution. So, so they actually kind of make make the vehicle as a vehicle w- worse, worse, but they put like six DVD players in it yeah. uh, and a giant stereo system, and then loads of weird light in, and then like neons underneath. So pimp my PC. If it's true to the concept I'm getting at, is it needs it's to like look great, a, yeah, but, but it's, it's a Pentium three, yeah, uh, like because it, the motherboard is spending more time orchestrating this fucking light show <laughs> than it is of making sure you've got any RAM spare to open up Chrome. <laughs> Chrome runs at a snail's pace, but your PC could blind someone from across the room. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. pimp my PC. That sounds great. So people get oh like oh yeah, I'm on pimp my PC, and then. Um, 
who would present Pimp My PC? Linus from Linus Tech Tips. The, uh, yeah, I know Linus oh, Tech he's, Tips. Uh, my YouTube algorithm gave mm -hmm. me him at some point, and he's, he's, he's the king of the... Right. Whereas I'd say my ultimate presenter would be that, um, that child man from um, Running on Empty. Okay. The guy who reviews cold fast food constantly. <laughs> yeah. No, he would be. No, okay. Now, Linus, Linus from Linus Tech Tips, and it's just the PC still. It, not only does it still run like shit, it runs slightly worse yeah, yeah. because it has to calculate which LEDs to be on. So they've downgraded it to earlier operating systems, so it's less load on the whole machine. I'm impressed that I got the Linus Tech Tips. The algorithm gave me that because normally gaming, I game. Sean, you've you've done a you game. I've played a few games. You game well. Yeah. You've been on Twitch sometimes. Oh yeah, I'm a big Twitch guy now. But I've actually, I've actually done more Twitch streaming of non-gaming related stuff overall, like uh, Bean, like Mr. Bean ASMR. Um, I've I my last one was that I crowdsourced a meme. I'm very near to a significant figure on Twitter, so I got everyone to help me make like a single image that would help push me over. And I didn't post it because it seemed it would. I think it would get me banned from Twitter because it showed the Queen being beheaded. So I had to. Uh, <laughs> but I only. What was, what was the logic of that? I'm well, on board. Okay, so I wrote down who are my key demographics I need to appeal to, and it's like some geek nerd people, northern socialists, hmm. irony poisoned, always online people. Um, and sort of well-meaning people that I know in real life that I don't necessarily want to alienate. Oh, and um, new comedians who mistakenly think I'm a way up on the ladder. Okay. Like by befriending me, you'll receive some kind of tangible benefit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people keep making that mistake, but there's a trickle of followers who, are, <laughs> who I categorize that way. Um, and I said it can't alienate any of those. And um, so I looked at the trending thing, what's trending mm. on Twitter now, and a lot of it was Yamper, the Corgi Pokemon from Nintendo Sword and Shield. Uh, oh. From Pokemon Sword and Shield. I haven't seen this guy. Oh, I know of Wooloo. It, so is this the one, the rung below Wooloo? Well, it's not a rung below. Like, it's because it's the most recent, I'd say it's the most hyped. Oh, has it overtaken Wooloo hype? I actually think Wooloo will duke it out, but at the moment, okay. it's called Yamper, which okay. helps a lot. Because I'm from the West Midlands, and, and Yampy is a West Midlands slang for excited. Oh, oh wow. Excited slash stupid. It's the idea that it's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it means. What? It's yeah. amazing. Well, I think the idea is you're so excited that you've become really stupid. <laughs> do, you, do Game Freak know this, do you think? They can't know black country slang. Well, I don't know why I've assumed yeah. that. I, I still doubt it. Yeah. Um, so I looked that up and I go, okay, so it's a Corgi Pokemon. So I tried to insert it into a German translation of a DreamWorks style animated film, hmm. um, which features the queen and her corgis. But a lot of people rightly pointed out in chat that I don't want to seem pro-monarchy. So I said, okay, well, how do I make it less pro-monarchy? And a lot of people said, chop off her head. <laughs> so I, I, I sort of photoshopped a stump onto her head instead <laughs> and replaced one of the corgis with the yamper. And then I flattened it all. So I flattened all the images down because I was ready to post. Mm. And then I realized, hang on, this is like an incitement of violence against the queen. Actually, this mm. is going to be like, this is a bad idea. And we all said, yeah. So then I, they asked me to then uh, Photoshop Meghan Markle's head, her real head onto this CGI queen. Um, and then that's what we had to post, but it didn't make any sense. <laughs> 
and none of the Nintendo hashtag people liked it or key question what was the net follower impact of posting this image um I lost a few followers Mm -hmm. but I gained some from the stream everything I've done towards reaching my 3k goal Mm -hmm. has always lost every time I publicly make explicit that I would like to have 3k followers I don't want to be at as we speak, I'm at two nine nine nine, and it's just—it <laughs> is a bit of vanity to want to go up to the next significant figure, but it's also just—I just just right there, just push me over the top. It's doing my head in. I can't <laughs> handle it. You know, people that can't have the television volume set to forty nine, they go fifty. I, that's me. I'm right here. Yeah. So while there's like vanity in the mix, a lot of it is just this desire for. For solid shapes, strong numbers. So, are you going to be annoyed if you hit three thousand one? Is that is that as much of a problem as two nine nine? No, because it's also vanity as well. Okay. So, I, I, okay. I like it when the numbers go up. Mm-hmm. Up is good. I'm a big numbers okay. go up. Up, way. up more than rounded. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Oh well, uh, rounded, rounded is my what I say. Uh-huh. But the truth. But the truth. Yeah, rounded on main, up on alt. <laughs> 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 but yeah every time i go just get me to 3k someone vindictively unfollows me so i've hovered at that for a week well this what i like it's is hell. your twitch people you know one or anti-monarchist well th- this is this is what i was going to say is like i like it when the algorithm just gives me something else it's like here's a thing about computer games rather than because loads of people who consume computer game media seem to also consume just online fascism mm-hmm. or the alt-right that the algorithm just push it. You know, it's like, well, you liked this yeah. Wulu video. How about some white nationalism? And it doesn't ha- like, doesn't help that a lot of people, if that a lot of the gateway nationalists are people talking about a feminazi they met or like a political argument they didn't understand that then Sargon of Akkad helped clear out for them while they're narrating over Call of Duty, no scopes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a lot of people, like, I need to give my thoughts, but I don't want to be boring for people, so I will show a few headshots time to time. <laughs> it's like, wow, you, you're you creating a really weird vibe. And of course, the normalization of violence within video games is something that like, we've come to terms with on some level. That, But seeing that hyper-violence turned into a video now with explicit political content transforms it into so much worse one of the most the videos that was like the pinnacle of that which you just described was years ago it was like a milo video thank god he's been no platform and works i mean who knew but um pedo apologist milo like it was a video of him owning feminazis or whatever but but every time so it was a compilation of him owning quote-unquote people um and the quote unquote is around the owning rather than the people. <laughs> Who is targets for and, that? Because a lot of the people like that get criticized for they'll just hone in on like a nineteen year old undergraduate. Yes, that's exactly who it is. It's it's exact it's the pinnacle of the form, right? Right. So it's the 
I mean, I, I, we're talking about Milo, but it's exactly it's Ben Shapiro's shtick. Yeah. It's it's all these guys' shtick, right? You know, like saying horrible, horrible things that deny people's like existence, but then just remaining calm and ostensibly polite while the, you know this young yeah. person gets legitimately upset about the horrific politics that are being espoused. But every time he owned someone, a a sniper rifle would come on screen, and it would be a first person sniper rifle from like wow. one of Call of Duty or something. And then it would animate like sniping this person's head off. And then it would go like like owned or oh, destroyed. Wow. And then it would cut to the next one. And it, so it was just yeah. it was just the video, you know, like a 30, 40 second clip of the person getting owned. Yeah. And then an animation like of, of a sniper rifle. And it would, you know, be like twelve and, and then there'd be multiple other compilations. Yeah. And that you know, that was the nexus of it, of like, it's everything. It's it's like yeah. a first-person shooter video game and someone getting sn- sniped. So if I'm and to then, understand correctly, he'll say like his retort or his gotcha line. Yeah. And then the video basically freezes. Yes. And then, so even if they did like go, oh, here's why I don't agree with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's now gone because the, the, the head's been shot off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow, yeah. Uh, Try uh, retorting to this now that I've shot your head off. I mean that is the. <laughs> it's pretty difficult that without the, head. That's the clear uh, implication here. Uh, wouldn't it be easier if their heads actually? Uh, I mean, I'm just using this as a visual <laughs> metaphor, but wouldn't it be a lot easier if actually someone just shot off their head? If you want to talk real politics, proper, getting your hands dirty, getting into the crawl space and banging on all the pipes politics, then you've got to talk about ideology. That's the big, the best word, the best concept. Bang this guy out a few times during a convo and people will know that you're a smooth-talking critical theorist who demands respect. So what is ideology? Is it having an idea about a log? So, imagine a log. But it's the size of the moon and it can dispense sweets if you correctly answer trivia questions that show up on its flank at night. And what size business loan are you looking for to get this off the ground? Ten pounds. No, it isn't. That's wrong. Ideologies are any collections of beliefs and values that shape our worldview about what's good and what's bad. I like dogs, but I hate being on fire. That's a simple ideology in its own way, and in my opinion it's a good one since it's actually one I brought from home. The most important feature of an ideology is that it influences our behaviour, which is why you might see me moving enthusiastically towards a happy puppy, but scratching my chin and saying, perhaps not, when someone suggests we spend the day inside a towering inferno. I do not wish to burn. Political ideology, therefore, is when such a system of values relates to the political sphere, which is anything outside of your house and some things inside of it. Gay sex, Nazi memorabilia, Edward Snowden. We usually use the term political ideology to refer to identifiable shared value systems that are popular enough to get their own name. That's your socialism, your fascism, your anarchism, your race nationalism. But just like how there's an uncountable panoply of colors. Camel, gravel, stone, gray, mauve, hot blue. So too is there a spectrum of political ideologies. We just tend to group huge amounts of colours under the umbrellas of a few names like green or yellow for the sake of convenience in a shared language. 
And that's the same kind of practice that's going on with ideology. The term ideology came into existence in the late 18th century from the scholar Antoine Destoux de Tracy. 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 I'm trying my very best. de Tracy. And the term immediately morphed into a pejorative by the rampaging and actually quite tall for his time Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte, who began referring to his opponents as ideologues. You are all slaves to your unconscious desires. Not me. I am pure reason. I am an INTJ. Watch me invade the Iberian Peninsula for no reason whatsoever. That was the sound of Napoleon Bonaparte sucking on a vape. This pejorative connotation has stuck around, and it's still not uncommon to hear people criticise political policy as ideological. The UK Conservative government austerity programme was often described as an ideological programme, by which people meant that it was something the Tories wanted to do anyway, because it's in line with their own values, reducing the role of the state and making more room for capital and private ownership, and not because it's something that would actually help the economy in the way they said it would. Two years into their austerity programme, it was criticised by almost all mainstream economists as being counterproductive to growth, and they continued to do it for an additional seven years. Hooray! That's not to say that ideology doesn't have a role in politics. If you want to make a policy of providing more provisions for homeless people because seeing people sleeping on the streets makes you feel a sad, nagging feeling in the pit of your stomach, then that's absolutely fine. You're not going to find a compulsion to help your fellow man by totting up the totals on an abacus. Having desires and values is the sole motivator for change, whether good or bad. What's more, it's impossible to be governed or organised outside of a system of ideology. Even if you programmed a computer to be the Prime Minister, you'd still need to write into its algorithm whether it should prioritise the economy, or welfare, or what to do in the unlikely event of an alien invasion. Fire the peace ray. Maximum power. Computer programs, surveys, even pie charts, they all carry the ideological fingerprints of their creators. The quest for objectivity that exists outside of a spider web of human values and opinions is a wild goose chase. Which isn't to say that wild geese don't exist, you just ain't gonna catch them. They're too fast, they got wings, powerful beaks, and they keep hiding behind the veil of ignorance. So that's ideology. Systems of connected beliefs and values that influence our behaviour, or collections of beliefs shared by many people that motivate the political organisations that shape our world. And that's it really, as long as all these competing ideas can exist in harmony without any kind of forced hierarchy, then we, we ought to be fine. Oh no! What's that sound? Is that capitalism? Yes. Get out of here! I'll leave the room, but I'll still exist as a predominant economic system of the globe. I begrudgingly accept your terms. Goodbye. Goodbye. Capitalism divides the world into two classes of people, workers and capitalists, depending on whether or not you own the means of production. The means of production refers to factories, looms, those Mr Whippy machines that are built into ice cream vans. But it also refers to the means to create media, newspapers, TV programmes, Biplanes skywriting the words stay cool above Wakefield city centre. Media is what shapes our culture and determines which ideas are popular and dominant within it. 
When one class of people gets to spread its ideas out far and wide and another is restricted to having conversations and throwing notes at strangers in the park, it creates something called hegemonic ideology. The ideas of the ruling class are in every epoch the ruling ideas, i.e. the class which is the ruling material force of society is at the same time its ruling intellectual force. The class which has the means of material production at its disposal has control at the same time over the means of mental production. This is Daddy Marx in the German ideology, getting into the nitty-gritty of what ideological hegemony is. Ideological hegemony is when one set of ideas and values becomes dominant in a society. Those who are brought up in that society will absorb those ideas passively as they live their life, because they are the values they see all around them. As you grow up, the ruling ideas of that time and place get absorbed into your psyche like a pasta baby swimming around in a hot pool of broth. You are born in a slow cooker and you live there indefinitely. Growing up against a backdrop of news broadcasts, advertisements, newspaper headlines, and the greatest ideology applicator of all, other people talking about news broadcasts, advertisements, and newspaper headlines. You soak those juices all into your body and it becomes part of your worldview, your gestalt. And just to make it clear, I'm not talking about a grand conspiracy. There's no shadowy cabal of crystal-worshipping Channel 4 news commissioners who decide to destroy the poor. It's just that people who live in poverty don't tend to be the people who decide what goes on TV. And the people who do tend not to live in poverty or even come from a background where poverty was on the table. Mum, what's for dinner tonight? Oh, I'm afraid it's poverty, son. Oh. And chips. Karen, chips! Oh, fucking yes! As such... The framing and representation of ideas as presented by our media industry will be displayed to us in accordance with the interests, i.e. ideology, of the capitalist ruling class. And we, the workers, are left to stew in those ideas, to absorb them and take them into our precious psyche, even if those ideas are not in our best interests. I need to work a job I hate in order to contribute to society. My body is the wrong shape. It is patriotic to lay down my life and my country. It is shameful to be poor or unemployed. I need to be beautiful. I need to own a house. I need to get married. These ideas did not start with you. You did not invent any of these. They were handed to you. They were the lapping waters at the shore of your mind since you were a child and that water has been seeping inside you before you had the barriers to stop it. That's what makes you a British citizen, the damp and weary self-hating brain. In the mid-1990s, an American libertarian think tank conceived of something called the Overton Window. The Overton Window is a simple model to understand both the phenomenon of how different political ideas are considered reasonable or acceptable at different points in history and also how this window of what is considered acceptable may be influenced or changed. For instance, expanding the welfare state was an incredibly popular policy option in the late 1940s, but since the 80s we've been moving in the other direction. Neoliberalism used to be a doctrine on the fringes of conservative thought, but now it's the dominant political idea in Western politics. At all points in political history, some ideas seem sensible and acceptable, and others seem extreme and unacceptable. The Overton window offers a suggestion that there is only a narrow set of ideas that can be considered acceptable at one time, and you can make new ideas acceptable 
by dragging that window left or right over time, rather than appearing outside of it and risk being called a radical extremist. But in reality, the Overton window only really moves to the right, as a series of increasingly frog-like politicians leap over each other to say more archaic racial slurs into a television camera. There's lots of evidence that the increasing prevalence of xenophobic right-wing parties such as the BNP and UKIP have helped drag conservative policy further to the right, but the same effect has not been visible in the other direction. If their theory held up, you might expect a figure like Jeremy Corbyn would have brought some of the most basic entry-level social democratic ideas into the frame of public acceptability. But even now, ideas such as building social housing, nationalising key industries and reinvesting in the welfare state are still treated like they're the ravings of a Maoist robot that is accidentally activated in the bowels of a Cold War museum. Ultimately, the capitalist ruling class aren't going to be convinced by ideas that go against their class interests simply because they're popular. Just as I suddenly wouldn't become excited by letting a cow live in my bedroom just because all my friends thought it would be funny. In fact, I'd do everything in my power to stop you. I do not want a cow in there. That is where I get changed. Bessie, it's late. Please, just let me sleep. <coughs> Bessie, stop. Let's recap. Ideology is a system of connected beliefs and values that influence our behaviour or collections of beliefs that are shared by many people that motivate the political organisations that shape our world. Hegemonic ideology is when one political ideology becomes dominant and in our society that dominance is created and reinforced by capitalism. Hegemonic ideology means we end up subscribing to and internalising thoughts and belief systems that are in our best interest but instead align with the class interests of the ruling class, a role which is played here by the capitalist class. The ruling ideology is echoed and disseminated through media and internalised by the working class, further entrenching the ruling ideology. All ideas which go against the class interests of the ruling class will be considered unacceptable, extreme or otherwise undesirable. And that's it. Ideology 101. Here's your diploma. And I know it sounds pretty bad, but I think I've got a nifty little workaround ready for deployment in the form of a revolutionary zine. I've got about 50 copies printed, which I think might be enough for most of the odd numbers on my street. So who knows? Maybe if they're popular, we could have a real grassroots movement on our hands by Christmas. Goodbye. only sincere things we've got yeah i think we would have got rid of them if it were possible well and just become pure ben shapiro reason bots no i don't mean become like these yeah <laughs> logic and reason intjs um emotions are the most sincere things we've got and they tell us things we don't want to understand about ourselves uh and so i think if it were possible we would sweep them completely under the carpet forever but inevitably they do come out of all the cracks and we go oh that's who i actually am better deal with that i mean a lot of us don't a lot of us don't we never really deal with our inner emotional life and that's why all men in the uk are fucked but i'm just saying there's all that's always bubbling away and it does it's the ultimate seat of power the idea that the idea that 
reason is the seat of the driving force of human behavior is such a fucked view. And in fact, the fact that people believe it, I think is one of the fundamental driving forces behind things being a real mess. Well, so much of economics is based on rational choice theory. Yeah. People don't, people aren't rational utility maximizers or whatever they call Mm -hmm. consumers. But if they were, you know, adverts don't appeal to reason. Like the adverts that pop up for that, like Game of Thrones in browser game. This is actually like, this is, these, here are the logical reasons you will enjoy this. They appeal to your emotions. They're really manipulative. They appeal to your sex drive. They appeal to your fears. They appear to your love of your children. I like, not that Game of Thrones advert, but like adverts in general. This is actually what I did my dissertation on. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello. It never really comes up. Brain boy. Um, it was about how game theory ultimately doesn't make sense because it's got underlying assumptions about human nature that just cannot be borne out and aren't really in line with what other areas of research believe about human behavior, like basic psychological studies. Like a lot of research that says that a human being can't make long-term decisions that benefit them because we just don't know enough about ourselves. Oh, so this is why we don't do anything about climate change or everyone everyone's pensions fucked because we don't think about the distant future. We just think about immediate. Oh, this wasn't taking this kind of this wasn't taking like the world stage or, or global politics or anything right. into account. It was just about people deciding on long-term investments like a car or furniture or a house or anything. Ah. Whatever they wanted at the time for whatever reasons always ended up changing and <laughs> They they weren't able to predict what would be important to them in four years' time because humans don't really know themselves that much. And they also aren't... Um, it's not to say people can't have goals that last a really long time, mm-hmm. but people uh, are more driven by impulses and temporary emotions and flights of fancy than we like to admit because we don't want to admit that we're agents of chaos and that we're distracted by passing trinkets. All these um, libertarian views of us being reasoned and rationalist, um, and they are libertarian views. I think that idea of like, I want absolute freedom so that I can pursue my unique version of freedom and my own kind of lifestyle, um, and I don't need the nanny state, is this idea that like, I'm just a brain and I can do all the things around me that I need to do and it will all be correct. Mm. You just need to stop like coddling me. Mm. But... I go, I swing really far the other way. I mean, I grew up in like inner city Birmingham, like in a working class area. And like these these people need the nanny state. <laughs> they need the nanny state or they'd already be dead. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm I'm a big, big apologist for the nanny state. I do think they there needs to be like the while I'm not keen on hierarchy, I do think the paternalistic idea of expertise and policy to be able to like hey have you smoked enough today or should we have a a little less can i make it a little bit harder for you to get these should we uh not put the alcohol right at the front should we (laughs) put this right here maybe don't drink that right now like wait until midday you know i've seen people i mean a lot of it if you're in an area where like average education is just a little bit lower Mm. people aren't taught to be more rational they just aren't given the skills to hide it behind their vocabulary. And I think a lot of people just do things impulsively, but then are able to conjure really good reasons for why they did that in that mm. moment. Post-fact. And yeah. so if you just haven't got people who have been 
particularly given attention by the education system and didn't necessarily go to higher education, they're just not told how to spin those narratives around their emotional impulses. Mm. I think yeah. a lot of... Um, so everyone's making the same dreadful decisions regardless of social class, but the distinguishing feature is that the, those well-educated can bullshit. Yeah. I think someone who's done an, an Oxford PPE degree is, it just suddenly hasn't got... This this unique ability to give their emotions a greater backseat to their behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's got the same bluster and the same intuitions, and everyone, you know, See, is I... driving towards a set of values they picked up from their parents that they don't really control. You don't choose what you believe; it just gets picked up from your environment. Mm -hmm. And so, even if even if you're not willing to accept that your emotions play such a large amount of play. Your beliefs aren't rational in the first place. You can be rational regarding your beliefs if you want to make them happen in the world. Mm -hmm. But your beliefs are just a random collection of things you've picked up that already connect with the things that you believe. You've not chosen what to believe in the world. Just certain things appear to you and you have access to certain pieces of information. Yeah, you have limited agency in a structure that you had no in control, no control of building. Right. Constructing, right? I mean, my, my knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, paternalism, bad. But I see what you're saying of like, you're not saying paternalism in like, oh, the working class people are innately stupid and need to be looked after. You're saying paternalism is like, everyone is an idiot. Yeah, and, and, like, and, and that formal education gives you the skills to hide the fact that you are just a very gifted animal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we should all, like, it's kind of good that there's some suggestions that maybe smoking is bad. <laughs> Well, the, the, the right libertarian would go, yeah. look, I can make my own completely rational free choice about smoking and therefore it's my choice whether or not I smoke. And as a result of that, the government should not restrict the sale of cigarettes to anyone. Or, or cigarette advertising. Right. And therefore I swing the other way and I go, no, you're only a 10% as capable as making uh, a singular decision as you think you are. Everything you do is informed by other stuff. Well, that's do why you really that... think if you were a uh, do you really think if you were this singularly standalone rational computer, you would pump out the other side that I should smoke ten a day? Like, where are you coming from with that? What computer <laughs> would crunch the maths on that and be like, "Yeah, Benson the Hedge is ten a day, good idea." Let's well, go. It's just a good, nice way to commit suicide and look cool um, really slowly. Bill the... Hicks generation, and the... they need to stop. I'm glad they're dying out. Yeah. Bill Hicks isn't dead. He became Alex Jones. Um, Bill Hicks turned into the stardust and we breathe him in every day. So <laughs> <laughs> what he would have wanted. If everyone was just making these completely rational choices, the advertising industry wouldn't exist. A bit of paternalism of, for example, just on the issue of smoking. Yeah. Like, no smoking signs. A picture of someone's horrible lungs that look like they're made of, like, coal. Yeah. But that's is, what is I mean. It's a counter like... to to advertising. Like advertising shapes people's behavior, and advertising does not appeal to reason. Like it doesn't. Co the I think the biggest spends proportional spends on advertising are like Coca Cola or McDonald's or something. Mm -hmm. They're not. Like, you wouldn't reasonably go like, "Oh, I need six Big Macs." Yeah, right. Of course. And so, like, I know that this was a. a Squaring the circle on this was difficult for me because I'm the same as you. I don't really like the state trying to shape behavior. That feels wrong, especially any kind of hierarchical thing of going like, 
oh, what, the elected government's sort of going to tell people how to live their lives. That mm. doesn't feel very free to me. Yeah. <laughs> free to me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, restricting the advertisement of fast food during children's shows, um, just stopping bad things happening, and... I mean, that's mainly what it is. Not telling you what to live your life. It's just identifying clearly toxic elements of our society and going, let's let's slowly phase these out. Mm. How does a libertarian deal with examples of people who were raised in a a family of alcoholics and has become an alcoholic? Do you think they've made a free choice to choose that? Mm. How How does a libertarian deal with the example of a child that is born to a drug addicted mother and is born into that addiction Hmm. when that person comes of age and they're still let's say they still live in that environment what you think they're making this completely you think that's you think that's just a computer brain crunching their choices and going maybe i'll have a go on heroin that seems like a that will maximize my utility well the one the ones i've raised that to Mm -hmm. come back with like well it's the it's the bad you know the parent shouldn't have had the child in the first place that was their choice so actually it's the fault of the parent which you know, if you dig down on that, the premise is that the child deserves that. <laughs> but, well, but but they you, they but, always just. But that that doesn't work, does it? Right? Because oh, if I've done anything that doesn't work with your theory, hmm. it's the fault of the parent. But also, there's what's the distinction between the parent putting you in an environment where your choices are limited, and just society putting? Well, the thing the thing with it is, is that this sort of paternalist the state help inside is like means of reducing the harm done by capitalism so under our instinctual reaction of like oh the state is bad like proper socialist ideas of we want the state to wither away Mm -hmm. of of the and you know workers democracy in the economy like it would be very weird for workers to democratically uh want to produce something that is addictive and causes harm and just like you know and pollutes and right requires, exactly like those things th- those the, those up. those products and those behaviors would be i don't want to be completely u- utopian because of course a socialist society wouldn't be a utopia be a utopia compared to capitalism but it's not going to solve all like every single social ill or like human bad human whim but like that 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 paternalistic thing is a necessity under a system which rewards and you know like making people addicted to stuff and bad well not like drugs and certain heroin etc etc is illegal but like the alcohol industry or Mm -hmm. cigarette industry or you know sugar in stuff fast food when well when the state withers away i still think the function of that i'm calling it paternalism like just parentalism yeah um that's still going to be carried out like all societies still have to make decisions about what we're all going to do, mm. whether it's done by like an interchangeable council of people who get mm. to make decisions over certain certain areas of public life. There's still going to be people going, oh, we've discovered a species of toad, and if you lick it, you, you have an out-of-body experience. And people will still go, well, I think we should stop people doing that because <laughs> they do that and then they go in the machines. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm, you know, can we toad. just pass a rule? Our office head on toad. Yeah. I know that we've got these new toes and I'm, you know, can we just say only on Sundays? Yeah, can we have yeah. some kind of restriction go, on the yeah, toes? You have to go in the toad yeah. zone and there's like yeah. beanbags. No toads in the schools, for yeah, instance. Can yeah, we just keep yeah, the toes yeah, out of the yeah. schools? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so what I'm saying is it, it's not even a state function. I just think it's a function that identifying 
bad or unhelpful or toxic elements in a in a society or grouping of people and just trying to restrict them mm. that's uh that's a normal and good function of uh, of an organized group of people because people don't behave based on reason right and so and so i am apologist for the nanny state i guess i don't really like the phrasing nanny state i don't know what else to call it but that's what we know it as nanny state is such a you can tell it's like a tory name for something because who the yeah. fuck has a nanny uh, the word nanny would never even <laughs> yeah. if i'm thinking of who tells me what to do i'm like what i want uncle state you know like your rogue uncle that just so it not only tells things. you it <laughs> only... <laughs> i want an uncle state that's like yeah. hey do you want a fucking burger? Yeah, do you want yeah. a burger with acid on it? If I tell your mum we're going to the uh, museum, do you want to drive really fast on the moors? <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Snake, no! You can't take that attitude with a country. <laughs> Nanny State not only tells you that they were like born into wealth, but that there was someone who had to look after them during the day and they were always petulant at it. Like, they look back on their nanny's mm. behaviour towards them and they're like, that fucking bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, imagine thinking of all the rules about, like, don't touch that, don't put your fingers in the in the sockets. Like, giving you quite reasonable advice about how to not don't hurt yourself. Don't eat broken glass. Yeah, yeah. And looking back on that and be like, that absolute cow. How dare she tell me what to do? I still look back on her with a singular hatred. And when anyone tells me to do, I think of that fucking nanny and how much I despise her to this very day. Yeah, she just thought she was trying to help me by preventing me putting my tongue in the socket. Yeah. But actually, what that was, was oppression. That was, that, that was Stalinism. And that's why when I joined the Bullingdon Club, I went hard on coke. I would have been straight edge if it weren't for that fucking nanny. <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. The title theme music was created by Ella Jean, with additional music by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. As ever, if you're able to help us out by clicking upwards facing thumbs, writing glowing reviews, or engaging with anything that will promote the podcast through opaque algorithms online, we'd be very grateful. And even if you don't have the time or inclination to do that, thank you anyway for listening. You've made it to the end of the episode. And please, live a life that is chock-a-block with joy. Do you know that phrase? Chock-a-block. Like full, like full. Bursting. Bursting from the seams.